0: AVXL episode 136 was recorded on April 20th, 2021. There's a new Apple TV, but the remote might be cooler. Cavo's not dead. Sure is Aionic 50 reviewed. New earbuds from Bowers and Wilkins. Rob is pumped about his new Calman calibration software. Don't forget, email ask at avxl.com if you got a question for us. And hey, a big thanks to everyone that supports us at patreon.com slash avxl. Testing, one, two, right. All right. I'm not blowing anything out. Ignorant weasels chewing on your soul. Ignorant weasels. Do you have speed? Yeah. Welcome to Excel, your guide to the best known home video and audio gear, no matter what your budget is. I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. And I'm going to try not to talk as fast as I'm trying to talk today, but... It's all good. There's excitement afoot. You, you actually, you may have, it's hard to tell who's more excited, me about the new Apple TV remote or you about getting the new calibration tools from Calman, or I should say from Portrait Display. Yeah. (laughs) Calman
1: software from Portrait Display. They have a brand new, well, it's currently a release candidate, so I'm playing beta tester Mm -hmm. yet again which I do not mind, really. I kind of enjoy it. This latest version of Calman incorporates something called the Aurora Color Engine. And it's a completely new color engine built from the ground up using the latest color science research to quote the press release. There is still not a lot of technical detail about this, but some of the most recent postings, even some as late as today, do imply that this new engine will utilize a, quote, unity grayscale technology for 3d lut neutral spline bypass for when using a 1d lut plus 3d lut for calibration to translate that slightly what it's saying is that this new calibration engine basically is doing your grayscale and your color calibration and whatever neutral spline bypass is that's the great unknown for me right now i believe that has something to do with color science but when i google around looking for specifics about what that means and what that is doing. I find very little information right now. However, this new 3D LUT technology, the color calibration itself, built into the new Aurora color engine, is claiming that it will reduce or eliminate posterization and banding artifacts. I see it mostly nowadays on things like OLEDs that aren't calibrated properly. I would say this also can apply to some LCDs I've seen as well, but anywhere you're cranking up specific color settings too far, it's really easy Mm -hmm. to introduce clipping and other artifacts that show up in the picture as something like posterization or banding. I am really, really looking forward to not only trying out the latest and greatest fresh engine in CalMan Fresh. But some of the new formulas and stuff related to the underlying technology to see if it can really produce something that I already thought was pretty good. And if it can be even better, so be it. Currently, this software update, at least with the RC1 candidate, is only compatible with select LG, Dell, ASUS, and BenQ displays. So, curiously, I am awaiting maybe something for good old Samsung and Sony as well, just to round out my bag of tools, so to speak. <laughs> I'll be firing that up here in a couple hours, as soon as it gets a little bit darker in this room, and applying that tech to my C9 OLED and see how it turns out. I expect it should be damn good. I just need to make sure that the software is stable for, for public consumption, so to speak. And I'll let you know how that goes next week, so to speak.
0: We wait with bated breath. hmm Let's talk about Apple TV. A whole bunch of announcements from Apple today came out. The biggest one for me, actually, is not the Apple TV. But the $59 aluminum TV Siri remote, as far as I'm concerned, that may be the best thing at the entire event. It's thicker. It's aluminum. Uh, it's got a five-way touch control. It's aluminum, so there's no glass swipe pad to break. It's got a dedicated power button, which is aluminum. The Siri button is on the side of the remote instead of where people go to hit pause. There's a dedicated power button, which is also aluminum. Did I mention that it's aluminum and not glass and breakable? <laughs> yes. Uh, so, <laughs> I get that. <laughs> It looks a lot more functional. Hopefully, uh, you can do a circular gesture on the outer ring to fast forward and rewind, which to me is somebody who likes to examine, you know, do frame-by-frame looks at how movies and television shows are cut together and stuff. That has so much potential to me, because the previous remote was problematic at times.
1: As long as I can do a quick 10-second back or 10-second forward or 30-second back or forward, that's all I really need. And is this... Basically, the upgrade for the previous... I just remember the Apple TV remotes being that thin, stealthy-looking aluminum remote that was quite nice, but easy to lose, I would find. It would go right into the couch and vanish. Oh, this is
0: going to be almost as easy to remove. The Apple TV 4K Siri remote was glass, and it was about the same size as the aluminum remote, but again, just as easy to lose. Got it. From the burying the lead department, what I should actually be an adult and say, there's a new Apple TV 4K. It's first update since 2017. They stuffed an A12 chip inside of that, uh, which is essentially one of the, the top-end uh, iPhone, iPad processors, to deliver twice the frame rate on HDR content. So we're talking about 60 frames per second Dolby Vision playback, and including, they're saying, over AirPlay from iPhone. I'll believe that when I see it. There are some articles that are quoting 120 frames per second. This is not accurate. Uh, the tech specs are for H.264, HEVC, SDR video, up to 2160, 60 frames per second. HEVC Dolby Vision, 2160p, up to 60 60 frames per second. So let me make it clear for anybody out there who's not in Apple land: the previous Apple TV maxed out at 30 frames per second on 4K content. I also did love the four pica high notes at the bottom of the page. High frame HDR content is currently limited. Additional content available soon.
1: Right. There is very little content out there in HDR that goes above 24 frames per second. Yeah. I can think of literally a handful of movies that are even doing 60 let alone like Ang Lee and experimenting with up to 120 frames per second. But where you would actually get that as source material? uh, Yeah.
0: Nowhere. (laughs) I would say, yeah. And and then there's the whole sort of gamers are looking at 120 frames per second or faster if they can get it. But that's a whole different bucket of pain. I am pleased that Apple at least is
1: continually updating this product. Because one thing, even if you don't have an HDR TV, I just find that these products, especially the ones that can do 4K and HDR, they generally will perform better over the long term by having that stronger processor built in, especially when you consider the software updates and other items out there looking into the future. If you're going to be a long-term owner of this product, I would always recommend a more premium model than the the most entry-level product that a company may offer. Apple seems to be, you know, They're going to do well Hmm. with the A12 processor within this system. But when I look at other products from other companies like Roku, I'm always tempted to push it a little bit further than I may actually need for my particular TV just to have that additional performance there waiting for when eventually big updates will come along and new features will be added. And it just makes it a more seamless process, more seamless usage of the product over the long term. I can't disrespect that. That's something I
0: love. I love seeing that. Yeah i'm kind of curious one of the things they were touting uh was that you could balance your color create a perfectly calibrated combo and essentially you will hold your phone uh, your iphone iphone only up to the screen and then it's supposed to uh adjust the color presumably coming out of the apple tv going into the back of your monitor that's interesting because that would imply that
1: they're doing the settings within the apple tv 4k and not adjusting yeah. the tv itself yeah, that's odd because then, well, if that's your only source device, that's perfect. But if it's not, yeah. if you have other devices, then yeah, OK,
0: that is a feature I would love to take a look at in person. I'll be able to test that on the TCL we have uh, in the yeah. mouse somewhere. I won't be able to test that with my projector because you literally have to face the camera, the, the front facing camera, like an inch from the screen. To use the tool, I will be very, very curious to see A, what it's actually doing, and B, if it's accurate or if it's pumped in any way. Uh, they've got audio sharing now, which will uh, let you run up to two sets of Apple AirPods, so your Apple TV 4K. So you can have two of you sitting there cuddling with your AirPods in, listening to horror movies at 2 a.m. while the children sleep. You can order it on April 30th. It'll be available in the second half of May, fitting with our usual, uh, we don't know when things are shipping in 2020slash early 2021. 32 gigabyte version for 180 bucks, a 64 gigabyte version will cost $200, which basically means for most people, just spend the extra 20 bucks. Yeah, it's funny. And we'll talk a little bit about frame rate, dynamic range matching, which is something that has gotten, I think, better and worse inside of the Apple TV when you're dealing with 4K. But having spent a lot of time with a 4K Apple TV in the last year, uh, I am pleased that they are throwing more processing power at it. And I'm curious to see how that works in real life, uh, especially some of the features that they tucked in there, like your color balance.
1: I would imagine they're also aiming at more of the gaming side, perhaps, down the road in terms of using the Apple TV 4K as a cloud-based gaming service. If they're talking about, oh, here's the storage, and why would you need that storage exactly? Considering that most apps are just streaming information, it shouldn't take a lot of data storage internally to be able to do what you want it to do. Anyway, that will be something to keep an eye on for sure.
0: Speaking of remotes, Cavo is not dead. Um, I got an email back from the folks at Cavo. New inventory is expected at the end of May. Uh, We'll have more updates around then because you can't buy anything. And apparently you haven't been able to buy anything new from Cavo for the better part of a year. Their inventory has been that. uh, Their supply chains have just been fracked, essentially, since uh, near the beginning of the pandemic. So they have literally been out of stock for the last year. Oddly enough, around that time, they started to develop an entire software platform uh, around its hardware for senior living facilities based on some stuff they saw uh, end users who had like installed the Cavo system at a parent's house, for example? Interesting reads. Um, the title is kind of a hoot. Cavo built a universal TV remote. Now it wants to help you keep in touch with grandma. Yanko Rokers wrote that. Uh, Yanko, if I'm saying your name improperly, I apologize, but that's over at protocol.com. Just some interesting stuff going on there. So we will see. Where Cavo goes with this? Because I got to be honest with you, I'm I'm delighted that Cavo is not out of business. Uh, it does not do a lot of the fringe stuff that you could do with a Harmony remote, but they are not out of business, which is a good thing. While I'm touching on supply chains, if you're waiting on KEF's LS50 Meta, because somebody had asked me about this, it's available where it's available, like everything else right now, and uh, that's their their updated version of the uh, LS50. <laughs> Basically, everything that is not Black or white, you are not going to be able to buy in the United States until more stock arrives. Uh, And if you do see one for sale, the black and white models are available at the normal retail price from some vendors. Check all of the usual suspects. You know, start with KEF and their partners or or your local store. You know, we've talked about so many things have gone out. Things we've never seen run out of stock. Graphics cards. Run out of stock. Yeah. Well, I can buy an LS50
1: meta easier. At least it seems possible yes. to actually buy one compared to something like a 30 series
0: GeForce card right now. <laughs> You'll pay a couple hundred dollars extra for the fancy red or blue ones, which oh. is quite aesthetically pleasing. I, I love was, uh, that red one. That is just such a
1: visually... I like the blue one too. I love those alternate colors they've come up with. <laughs> that beautiful
0: matte paintwork. I would, yeah, I'd be on the wait list for one of those. We just want less shiny black stuff that gathers fingerprints. Oof. And I'm also going to say, uh, I you know, I was pretty sure the most exciting thing from the Apple announcement was the uh, Apple TV remote. But the reality is I'm probably more excited for Ted Lasso Season 2, at least until I look over and see that delete expletive broken glass remote. <laughs> Not that we've replaced two of those in the last year. I may have mentioned the Shure Aionic 50, their, their new uh, wireless over-ear headphones, maybe that I was a little frustrated with them. Did, did I bring that up at all?
1: It seemed like the out of box experience was
0: lacking in <laughs> certain specific ways. Okay, so I like Sure. I have used Shure products in the punk rock phase of my life uh, in New York City and elsewhere on stages. I have friends who have Shure microphones. I have a Shure microphone that's 35 years old and still bomb-proof. They make some fantastic in-ear monitors. I've used their microphones professionally uh, in television studios. So I was really excited to get ears on with the, uh, the $300 Aonic 50 ANC headphones. This is a professional audio company. I respect their products. Surely they've made some great headphones in the past. Surely they'll nail neutral audio they'll have a good clean presentation you know and i gotta say out of the box actually that part was pretty good okay nice physical buttons sturdy build felt good in the hands a little heft to it not an oppressive amount of heft like as i've literally in the last uh, couple years i've i've literally picked up some audio foil headphones that weighed the better part of two pounds like 1.6 pounds which even for my burly neck is a bit much They're talking about 15 hours of battery life on these. uh, Easy. Sure claims 20 hours. I got at least 15 hours out of it before recharging, probably closer to 18. USB-C charging, aptX low latency, aptX HD, LDAC, aptX AAC, uh, SBC light. Well, SBC, of course, is part of Bluetooth, but but basically the, the entire laundry list of stuff to connect to just about any wireless device out there. And out of the box, the bass is boomy, and the treble's really weird. There's some recessed, like chunk in the treble so ratings they did a frequency response measurement on this and there's like a 10 decibel peak in the bass around 130 hertz and it drops to like 85 db by 30 hertz there's this huge bump in the upper bass and then by the lower bass it's recessed so it kind of tapers off which is not what you want with your sub bass and i'm like okay can we eq them Yes, there's this really slick parametric uh, EQ in the app for the Shure app for the headphones. The problem is that you can only EQ files you are streaming or playing through or literally playing with the app. So Spotify title Cobas are just going to get you that stock sound with the bloaty bass. I want Sure to tell me that there's an update to this. The Sony XM3, XM4, they have a weird bloated bass out of the box and some issues, but you can EQ that for all sources. Yeah, And look, I mean, I'm not asking for flagship headphone performance, but something that's not a mess out of the box would be great. If you're listening, wireless, uh, active noise cancelling headphone manufacturers, please. I'm not I'm not looking for them to be like my $800 headphones. That's not reasonable. I'm not asking for that. But it's crazy when you pull something out of the box, you know, and it sounds like you have your head in the trunk. Remember that Buick with the two 18-inch subwoofers that might have been loose-mounted in the trunk? You know, and you're watching the trunk lid blast. If you're going to do sort of a V shaped, you know, too much treble, too much bass, at least make it fun. It shouldn't sound messy. I'm sounding a little bitter here.
1: There should be a default at some point within yeah. that software, where well, here is the neutral response uh, curve. It may not even be the default. They may, that may not be the mode that most people would find appealing, but it should be there, and it should be
0: very easy to select that. You could say the Harman curve is kind of becoming, for a lot of places, it is becoming the sort of the default to match to. My frustration is that there's a lot of wireless headphones and earbuds that just sound like trash, And some of them you can EQ and make them sound good, like the Sonys will do that. The Bose, they're fairly neutral out of the box. Uh, You know, I may actually, you know, spend quality time with them more than I have. But it amazes me. The Sony's out of the box. It was kind of like they went to Beats and said, hold my beer. We can do something sloppier out of the box. If you EQ, they're not bad at all. Yes, people hear differently. People's tastes are different. But it's frustrating when you get a product that just sounds like a hot mess. That's too bad. I still yeah.
1: use my Shure sound-isolating earphones, especially for travel. It comes with a variety of tips right in the box, but they also sell that foam tip I love to talk about. It's like an earplug material <laughs> with the tiny little hole to let the sound come right through the middle. But if you install those Squeezy properly, foam. those are effectively putting earplugs in your ears, and it, it is excellent for sound isolation, yeah. especially from a, a pair of earphones I've had for Good golly, I don't even want to admit over a decade of continuous use (laughs) Mm -hmm. and they've held up quite well. That and the ear tips that I use are quote unquote disposable and I have a bag of like 500 of them. So anytime they do get a little funky, I just pop right off, put on a new set. I've come to depend on those just for fantastic noise reduction in noisy environments or be able to listen the way I want to, no matter
0: what's around me. When it's safe to do so. (laughs) Without destroying your ears. (laughs) Yes. While we're talking about personal audio, uh, Bowers & Wilkins just announced the uh, PI5 and PI7 True Wireless In-Ear Headphones. Something they haven't done is, well basically true wireless in-ears. Interesting pair of earbuds. The PI7 has a 9.2-millimeter bespoke Powers and Wilkins drive unit joined by a high-frequency balanced armature driver, which sounds a lot like a certain one more uh, in-ear that we like so much. And please b w don't be insulted when I say that. And they're using three mics in each earbud to feed the active noise cancellation, which is, I, I'm actually really curious to hear what that sounds like. For the PI5, they've got a single 92 millimeter uh, bespoke driver inside of there. Both of them feature a one-button user interface have Google and Siri support. They're talking about four to four and a half hours per charge, depending on which model. It'll be uh, about four additional charges inside the case. The case looks like it might be small enough to fit in your pocket, which is a good thing. The PI-5 is going to cost $250. The PI-7 is going to be $399. And we'll let you know what they sound like if and when we hear them.
1: Have B&W moved into headphones and earbuds They've done headphones for a long time. Because their speakers are some of my highest regarded in the world in terms of listening quality <laughs> in general. With most of the products I've heard from them, I can't think of a B&W speaker that I've disliked in any major way. So it's good to hear that their smaller speaker, their more personable speakers, yeah. are actually quite good.
0: I hope you like this one. I spent a lot of time listening to one of their earlier wired headphones, and they've started doing, a few years ago, they started doing in-ear noise-canceling headphones with the neck band. So this is a big jump as far as they're concerned. Cool. They've done some good stuff there. I'm curious to hear what these sound like. I had totally forgotten about this. The uh, LG Signature OLED-R TV. Do you remember that
1: one? Oh, yeah, baby. I have lots of <laughs> pictures and video of this thing in operation at a CES at least a couple years ago.
0: CES <laughs> 2019, I think.
1: I think you're right. That's,
0: oh, I believe that was the big unveiling of this product. You hit the button and the screen rolls
1: up out of the box. The footboard TV. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> at least in terms of the audio quality possible with a larger Mm -hmm. base, like the, yeah, R or the signature OLED R has in terms of just having more room to put some speakers in it. Yeah. When retracted all the way, it looks like a freaking box. The other cool thing was that the screen can come up (laughs) just a little bit, uh, like say just a lower third that pops up to give you information where it doesn't have to completely unroll. But it's 65 inches with very little information in terms of what the actual street pricing would be on it. For most people,
0: they're looking at something like a C-Series. I do have, thanks to the folks at uh, HD Guru and The Verge. Shout out to Gary. I do have some information for you. $89,000, because it started going on sale in South Korea about six months ago. So $89,000 is the U.S. equivalent of the current price in Korea. To put that in perspective, they thought it was going to sell for about 60 grand. So that's 150% of the price LG thought it would go for. I don't get that. There's actually an an inquire to buy link on HD Guru. Well, it might just be that the the mechanism is that big of a nightmare to put together. The yields are that low on the screen. Uh, HD Guru asked for pricing. Got no response (laughs) because there's an inquire to buy. The Verge being kind of a 900-pound gorilla in tech coverage, did get a response from LG, quote, we have not yet officially announced pricing and availability of the LG signature R rollable OLED. We should be making that announcement later in the second quarter. I have not verified whether or not the inquire to buy tag, if that had been taken off LG's U.S. website or not. (laughs)
1: Visually, at least from the demo products we saw at the trade show, one impressive thing about that rollable screen was if you look at the back of it, it has a series of armatures that keep the tension, the stiffness of the panel itself to a degree where from the front, you would not know that was a roll up screen just by looking at it until you get behind it and realize that, hey, this is all like collapsible structure to help maintain the shape and everything of this screen. From the front, I was actually quite impressed with how flat it looked. Yeah. It's an impressive piece of engineering. I mean, don't get either one of us wrong. No, I agree. If it's anywhere close to 90 grand, though, for something like that, please. (laughs) No, I would rather fill a room with, you know, a
0: couple of their 83 inch C1 models. At that point, you could, assuming you owned your house, you could get a custom, a bespoke piece of furniture made and cut a hole in the floor and pull the permits and do it all legit with some additional wiring, you know, and have a television rise out of the floor (laughs) for about a quarter of the
1: cost, if uh, not less. But flexible OLEDs have been a technology that's been around for a while at this point. although it's mostly been regulated to mobile devices in particular. And even those are fairly rare still. I'm curious to see if this actually comes to market in a reasonable fashion. And, well, I guess we'll find out in Q2 what the official U.S. pricing will be.
0: Maybe it's one of those things where it spends a couple years as unobtainium and then it becomes an affordable product, but we'll see.
1: That said, I would still rather have one of LG's new laser projectors, that 810 series that just came out that's competing directly with what you have, the 5050 from Epson. They're both about the same price, and that is one area where I am just loving what LG is doing in terms of affordability for a a laser-based projector using a dual laser system. And we talked about that in a previous episode. A highly desirable projector that I would, I really got to get that in and put it to good use considering it's- I want to measure the shiny. It's color coverage. It's color coverage is actually better than some premium LCD TVs I'm seeing out there right now, which is
0: crazy. It shouldn't be the case, but that just tells you it's an impressive projector. Well, I mean, lasers change a lot of things about projectors, uh, especially um, not having to replace bulbs every couple of years. Speaking of which. We talked about the Epson uh, Epic Vision, the Ultra LS 500 last year. If you don't remember, it's like a 4,000 lumen ultra short throw laser projector, 20,000 hour uh, life rating on the on the laser. You can buy it separate, but their primary versions are bundled with dedicated 100 or 120 inch Epson Silverflex Ultra ALR mega screens. And in theory, this thing can pump uh, lumens up to about a 130 inch screen. Uh, Android TV is built in, editor's choice over its uh, projector central.com the throw length it squats a little farther away from the wall than other ultra short throw projectors but all in all got an outstanding review they have a 10 percent factory discount on that uh, at epson.com and authorized dealers from this week through june 1st so if you have been coveting a laser projector, short throw laser projector. Uh, that one is probably worth getting eyeballs on while the discount is going.
1: Ooh, and compared to the LG projector I just mentioned, this yeah. projector actually, the Epson LS500, actually does offer 3D output. So if you're still rolling with the 3D enjoyment, this <laughs> is an option for that. A lot of projectors out there still do 3D. But for whatever reason, LG decided to scrap that with their latest laser, dual laser projector. And it's good to see that the good folks at Epson, though, are keeping that alive. And the fact that it comes with an ambient light-rejecting screen as part of the package. Yeah. At that point, it becomes a true option for replacing a TV in a well-lit room or a a room with normal lighting in it compared to your typical home theater room for projection where it's usually
0: as dark as you can make it to get the most pop from the picture. I talked to them about that, and and they flat out said, like, yes, you're a nerd, Mr. Norton. You will buy your own... They didn't call me Mr. Norton, but, you know, and they didn't call me a nerd either. But essentially, they wanted to create a situation where people did not have to deal with what I will affectionately call the frustration and emotional trauma of trying to find an appropriate screen with the projector. Or more likely, finding out that the projector didn't look as good as it could because they didn't have a light-rejecting screen for that ultra-short-throw projector. So, I I mean, I think it's a smart move for them uh, as they try to bring more and more projectors into more and more homes I like projectors. I have one. When you need a hundred-inch picture, projection is the way to go. <laughs> or 120 inch. There you go. Or even 90 inch. Oh well. Slick from Alaska emailed ask at avxl.com. He said I recently read a review, a roundup of high-quality gaming headsets. One I've never heard of sounds like a great option for gaming and regular headphone use. Have you heard of the Odyssey Penrose gaming headphones? Planar magnetic drivers. The website says they are 100 millimeters too. If one were to step towards high-end headphones and as a gamer, would this be a great choice? Thanks for all that you do. Slick from Alaska. Oddly enough, I have some secondhand experience with these. First thing I want to say, don't get too excited about specs, you know, even like 100 millimeter planar magnetics, which is good, right? Because usually you hear you know, consumer headphones and it's got a 40 millimeter driver. 100 millimeters big, that's not 100 millimeter in diameter. It's more of an oval shape. They do particularly well. I've heard bigger, more expensive headphones that sound like snot. So don't get too obsessed about the specs. Look, these have a lot of potential because what they are is essentially the same drivers. And uh, according to one of the contacts I spoke to, uh, the same tuning and the same materials and colors as Odyssey's Mobius, which we talked about a couple years ago when it came out, for $100 less. So this is good, right? Because the Mobius had a whole bunch of head tracking and 3D fura rah that uh, made it difficult to use with VR applications. And for a lot of folks who tested it, had it was problematic for gaming. That said, I spent probably a couple hundred hours just listening to them attached to my phone or attached to my desktop, uh, listening to music or gaming with all of the processing turned off. I didn't like the processing. I didn't like the head tracking. I loved the basic sound on them. Odyssey says on the web page for the Penrose, quote, other than having a common case in similar drivers and microphones, they use completely different chipsets, offer different connection methods and sampling rates, and connect to consoles differently. Both offer Bluetooth and analog connections for convenience, but these are not intended as primary use modes. Uh, the primary use mode is the 2.4 gigahertz wireless dongle that comes with the Penrose to attach it to your desktop. I saw some reviewers complaining that these don't support HD audio over Bluetooth. Well, HD audio doesn't work over over Bluetooth, so get over it. And HD audio is quite frankly overrated to begin with. You know, I'll be curious to test out the current mic and software. Uh, the microphone had some challenges with the chipset they used. I suspect that a lot of that has been solved with the chipset they are using to provide power to the drivers and handle the microphone and the wireless connectivity. I felt like there was some noise in the Movius amplifier that needed to be eliminated. Also, if I walked outside and the wind was blowing or birds were tweeting, I couldn't hear it, So, uh, or if the AC was running. Seriously, I think these are probably absolutely worth getting a listen to. If you get them, as long as the microphone works for you, these should be fantastic. There's a lot of good options out there. I also will say there's nothing wrong with getting a good set of headphones and using a separate microphone with them, and there's a lot of options out there. for uh, uh, there, there are options out there. I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. Heck
1: yeah, I am still a fan of my MDR seventy five oh sixes for all things uh, from music to PC use to gaming. Yeah. And I do use a separate microphone, nothing fancy, uh, just a decent standalone mm-hmm. mic. I am an avid user of headphones for computer use just for the privacy. And especially in right. gaming, it can give you just excellent detail, especially if you are in <laughs> a noisy environment or not. Even I just I prefer having headphones on a computer. Over standalone speakers.
0: Annoy everyone in the house. I mean, look. (laughs) Privacy. Number one reason. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Gaming with a projection TV and a full surround sound system. Fantastic. Epic. Also incredibly impractical for most of us. Tom emailed askadaviaexcel.com. Just to be safe, Tom writes, I purchased a backup MyHarmony remote. I think Logitech will continue to support the online database for quite a while. Why? Because I've been a Squeezebox user for 15 years, and Logitech is still keeping my Squeezebox up and running long after they discontinued the hardware many years ago. I think that's a good sign of their sincerity, Tom. That's awesome. And I got to say, I'm with you there uh, in that hope, Tom, uh, especially given that I just purchased another Harmony Elite myself. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I hope you're right or and and that they keep that thing up and running for a long time.
1: I think I still have a Harmony remote somewhere around here, although it's not my most used Logitech product. Currently, that would be my webcam that I've had for a while that I absolutely love. And actually, we just bought a, another Logitech uh, webcam just for use at a business I help run here in in my local area.
0: I just bought a wireless mouse and keyboard for my youngest, and he was so excited to have a wireless mouse and keyboard. Convenient. Uh, convenient as heck.
1: I'm still old school. Everything I have is wired, but, you know, <laughs> I understand for a lot of people, it's wireless is just fine, and it works great, and it's easy, and the battery life seems to get better every freaking year somehow, or just a more efficient device where it doesn't require as much juice, and it can seem to run for a year on a single AA,
0: <laughs> which is hilarious. Always a plus.
1: Yeah, I do like that.
0: We got a, uh, a uh, I'm not going to call it a smart-ass email, but a charming email from Mike. He says, I found a speaker cable. You've been talking about speaker cable, and I came across this. Uh, he posted this up on patreon.com. Thank you for being a patron, Mike. Uh, I thought it was a bargain, and it's a cableco.com link. And what a link it is for the Emperor Double Crown Speaker Cable by Siltech Cables, which... Uh, contains the substantial casings, contain their latest G7 silver gold alloy or in the crown series cable, their revolutionary and incredibly costly S8 silver monocrystal conductors combined with advanced insulation materials and precision manufacturing techniques to create a genuinely state-of-the-art family of eight interconnects. I'm quoting directly from the advertising information on the cableco.com website for this. Just to give you an idea what these are like, uh, two meters cables, which is a little short for uh, for my use for stereo separation, but maybe not for yours. Two meter cable pair, two meter cables, $50,000 another half meter. It's going to run you an additional basically, it's another 12 grand for every additional half meter you go. So the pricing is
1: outrageous, I will say, compared to some of the other ultra super whammy jammy premium cables I've seen. At least the <laughs> ends of these where the interconnects are, are reasonably are thin. Yeah, they're also very thin. So you're not trying Quiet. to stand, uh, jam some oversized interconnect or have it just creating stresses on the ports of whatever you're plugging it into, be yeah. it the speaker or the AVR. Still, oh, please.
0: 50K. What <laughs> it's for a pair, it's not just one. Oh, yeah, You're good. oh, yeah. Oh, you think about what
1: you could do with 50k and in, uh, in terms of home theater. Holy cow, you could build out a or whole s- new or- room,
0: <laughs> <laughs> you could buy a really nice set of speakers and the and gear, the hand gear hand. to put in that room. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right, we'll uh, we'll move on. Has there been any additional stories talking about uh, Samsung? buying OLEDs from LG, or I should say LG display. I have seen no updates to that story since the
1: original article appeared on, I saw it on Sam Mobile first, and it was referencing a Korean news article. That is still the only source of that information I'm seeing at this point. Now, a few years ago, LG did show me a new OLED manufacturing facility that was under construction in the city of Paju in South Korea, That appears to be online now, and that may be factoring into their ability to produce even more panels per year than their current, I believe, eight and a half million panels per year as their 2021 goal. And if Samsung truly is looking to purchase up to half of their current supply starting next year, we'll see. But just to reiterate, yeah, this is all based upon one story that popped up. And all the other stories are still pointing toward the fact that Samsung and their Quantum dot OLED prototypes are still being worked on, and the prototypes are due this June to manufacturers like Sony and others that are interested in these products, and Samsung, of mm. course. But they need to have the quantity in order to offer this as a product of their own, let alone sell it to anyone else. And it is the manufacturing <laughs> that seems to be the difficulty right now in terms of yield. While LCD manufacturing costs are generally falling and spreading to even more manufacturers around the world, individual panel prices seems to be holding, and it's not like LCDs are suddenly just dropping out as far as costs go and becoming the dirt cheap product out there. Also in the LG G1 OLED reviews I'm seeing around the internets, Mr. David Katzmeyer at CNET found it difficult to tell the difference when looking at the G1 and the CX OLED TVs side by side, It became very difficult to distinguish which one was which, and he also threw out the word evolutionary in terms of its performance. Some folks are seeing in side-by-side comparisons that, yeah, there is a difference, but again, it is not a revolutionary change in performance. Also noted by the wonderful Mr. Teo over at HDTV Test in his recent comparison between the G1 and the CX and even the C1, that new G1 is using a different filter on the top surface of that screen that quite frankly, seems to degrade the off-axis viewing compared to those previous models. In particular, it is a tinge of red or purple that you can see in full field white, say, if you were showing that, which could appear maybe when you're watching a hockey game or some other, of course, test pattern. But that's just kind of interesting where we always talk about OLEDs having the very best in terms of off-axis viewing, but it may have taken How a slight How far step off-axis
0: back. was he going? I mean, 45 degree, 80 degree, not even that so much, 89 degree, (laughs) even when seated directly in front of the TV, depending on what
1: distance you were at, you would see along the left and the right edges of the screen. Some of that color fringing starting to creep in. Let me just state again that the G1 is arguably one of the very best TVs of 2021. But when you compare it to what was going on last year, it's not as cut and dry as I would like it just to simply point and go, there you go. It would be tough for me to recommend the G1 panel over the C1 panel, say, to anyone other than for the design choice. And you like the way the G1 looks hanging on the wall. If you're not going to hang that TV on the wall, I wouldn't even understand exactly why you would buy it over something like the C1 OLED. It was the most expensive one they made. It must be better. Hey, and as long as I'm talking about display tech, last week we were talking about LCD longevity and how important it is not to overdrive your TV or monitors with max brightness and leaving them on 24 seven. One thing I forgot to mention is that I find that especially important with notebook displays. Those are not as easy to replace as maybe a TV would be, of course, or a monitor sitting on your desk. So when you are using your notebook, keep that function key handy for turning off the display and within your operating system. There are plenty of settings related to configuring that if there is no action going on, if you haven't touched anything in a while, have it turn that monitor off completely or that display off completely. Don't just put up a black screen. Don't go to a screensaver. Turning it off is always the best option.
0: We're talking about significant reductions in product life and products are
1: expensive. Totally. I think for every notebook I own,
0: I have it set to turn
1: off automatically in 10 minutes or so. Regardless, unless I am there in a long-term session and I am actively using it, then I'll disable all of that in the background. But generally, if I'm not near a display, even my workstation displays, those, I believe, blank out in 10 or 15 minutes and just completely turn off and go into their sleep state rather
0: than screensavers or anything else or dimming. Or just accept that the frame from Samsung is going to have a shorter life or a significantly reduced brightness over time compared to, say, a television you don't leave running 24-7. Just a thought.
1: 100% agree.
0: I do love the art, though.
1: (laughs) And one other thing in the rumor mill, TCL is apparently looking to create their very own branded OLED televisions. However, the date of introduction is 2023, so before we all get too excited... Let's take a wait and see on that one. However, I am seeing word of the 7 and the 8 series popping up in channels within Europe, and I'm curious to see if and when they arrive here in the United States. Well, when, of course. And the current information suggests it's going to be rather soon in Q2 2021. But between that 7 and the 8 series and the updated 6 series with 8K resolution, I'll put together an update on this, hopefully for next week. And we'll dig into that
0: a little bit more. Sounds like a plan, sir. Hey, you got a question for us? Email ask at avxl.com or tweet at Robert Herron, at Patrick Norton, or at avxl. Or just put pound ask AVXL in there. That works for us, too. And uh, we want to thank, again, everybody for listening, and especially everybody out there listening who supports us on patreon.com slash avxl. The money you contribute helps defray our costs and uh, helps... Pay us a little bit so we can put together the content for you each and every episode. And it's a great source of your questions. And yes, it is.
1: Our answers, hopefully. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we hope. All right, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. Catch you next week on AV Excel.